And the research tells us that that actually is the most important thing, the relationship between the parent and child. So parents put a lot of emphasis on getting it right. You know, sometimes feel they want to be the expert before they start a conversation with their child about this. But actually, the thing is to build the warm, loving, connected relationship where you can have those little conversations that we all have in daily life. Hi everyone and welcome back to HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing and today I'm talking to Moira Germain who is the Education and Training Manager for Sexual Health and Crisis Pregnancy Programme. We're here today to find out all about the new resources that have been published on making the big talk many small talks. Moira, thanks a million for coming into us. Thank you very much for having me Fergal. I'm delighted to see these new resources launched last year for parents. So before we get into them you must be delighted to get these project over the line there's must have been a lot of work oh it's it's yeah it's it's been several years of work to kind of develop the suite of resources to the stage where they are now because as you know there's a few booklets and there's also a video collection and it involved a huge range of people obviously the people in the sexual health and crisis pregnancy program but also a huge range of our external partners i couldn't name them all and, and then i suppose the whole area of relationships and sexuality education is a really hot topic at the moment. It is, it is. And for a very good reason. You know, I suppose for a very long time, it was a topic in Ireland that was taboo, that people didn't really deal with it or dealt with it in a very negative way. And I suppose people are more and more coming to the realisation that actually your sexuality well-being is a positive resource in their life. And they want to support their, you know, parents and teachers and anyone who works with young people wants to support them to be as well and as healthy and as happy in terms of their sexuality development as they can be. I suppose when some people hear the word sexual health, they'd usually think that traditionally that'd be about protection from STIs. I know that like, that was a mm-hmm. big message when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, it's still a big message, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But but like there was less about kind of education and prevention. And that's that's really your department, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it is about those things. None of us would be saying that they're not uh, important because obviously we want to support young people and adults to take care of their sexual health and to avoid or prevent risk and then to look for treatment if necessary. But that's a very reductive notion of the whole of sexuality well-being. Our national sexual health strategy actually recognises that. It talks about it in that much broader sense. So sex isn't, or, or sexuality isn't just about the act of sex. There's loads and loads and loads of stuff in and around it that we need to get our heads around. Absolutely. And and sex, obviously, for the vast majority of people is an important part of their life. You know, at t- like in their adult life when they choose to, if they choose to be sexually active. So it is important. But it is not the only aspect of their sexuality well-being and their sexual activity really should be integrated into the whole of their sexuality well-being rather than being seen separate or different. And that's part of the problem of, I suppose, in the past, because it was only seen about sexual activity. It had it was shrouded in mystery and taboo and perhaps Under even the shame. A bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we see it much more about it's about who we are. And that at a later time in our lives, our sexual activity is an extension of that, then it's much easier to address. So you're developing resources for parents, but Mm -hmm. a lot of children would get information in schools as well. So why are the HSE kind of doing this work? Yeah, absolutely. There's always this kind of tension between should 
this sort of education and information and support be in the schools or in the parents or with the youth work sector or where? And the reality is it should be everywhere because children and young people are, they live their lives in different places, in different settings. You know, they spend the vast majority of their time in the home, you know, from the time they're born. They spend a huge chunk of their time in the schools and then they spend another part of their time in the community. And the more they're getting these kind of positive messages and supports from all these different trusted adults, the more that they'll be able to figure out a way to be healthy in their sexuality, you know, as they as they develop. Yeah, I like the way you said that, you know, that the home is key. You know, that is mm. your ultimate healthy setting, isn't it? Yeah. And and the title of these new resources, making the big talk, many small talks, like it's the small conversations that are probably more amenable to the home situation, sitting down watching telly or around the dinner table mm. or, you know, where opportunities might just come up where something is on the radio or something on the television where people can actually talk about relationships or sexuality mm. in a more um, accessible, softer, normal way to normalize it, I guess. That's what you're trying to do, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I'm sure sometimes parents get really overwhelmed by this, you know, the notion that suddenly they're meant to become these sexuality educators on top of everything else they have to do. And what we're trying to say to parents is you're already doing a lot of this. You just don't know it, you know, because You've probably seen kind of sex education. It's been something completely different to all the stuff you're you're doing at the moment. But, you know, from the moment a child has been born, the parent is looking after their emotional health, their bonding, their connection, how they develop friendships and relationships with other people, looking after their, you know, the development of self-esteem. They're doing all that already. And what we want to say is that is actually part of your child's sexuality development as well as their emotional development and their physical development. So we want to kind of, I suppose, make parents aware of what they're doing already and then build in the bits where they might find it a bit more awkward, you know, talking about body or relationships or, you know, later on, maybe sexual activity and how young people can protect themselves and be healthy. So the and, and how does the education setting complement the work going on in like we're trying to support yeah. parents of these resources. How was the education and the youth work setting you mentioned there as well? Mm, so mm. Those, if they were working in concert with each other, or how was that dynamic? How does it work? How does, well, best case scenario. How does yeah, it work? yeah. Well, you know, they do different and complementary things. So you said already that in the home, the parent is there with their individual child or children and they know that child really well and they know what's going on in their lives. And, you know, they're there in those informal moments where they can gently raise issues or have a chat or whatever. The school setting is very different. The young person's in a classroom with maybe 20, 30 other young people. So it's a great place for the young people to get a wider notion of some of these topics and have a safe space to explore other people's opinions and perspectives in a, you know, a facilitated safe way because the teacher is obviously there. So that kind of supports and reinforces some of the healthy messages, hopefully, that the young person's getting in the home. So it's different and it's complementary. And then in the youth work sector, they get a different experience of having a safe space to explore these issues in a less formal setting with a trained youth work facilitator. But, you know, the more young people get these messages and get different places to tease out ideas, perspectives, values, attitudes, the more that they'll be supported to develop their own 
The I, I heard, I think it was Anya from the Parents Council at yeah. the launch event. Anya talked about values mm-hmm. that you know you, that you need the parents because the values might be different. You know, let's so you get if you're getting facts here and facts there, and you're picking a bit up off media. You know, all these sources of information for young people, but like you need to get your value base from mm-hmm. your home. That's why it's important to, you know, give the parents the power to deliver on this. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, parents might wonder about, you know, do they kind of bring their values into it? And of course they do. We bring our values into, everything. you know, everything. Yeah. But it's it's even more appropriate in the home. But the work of parents around values is as the young person, you know, as they go through childhood, you want to still in them value, you know, values about healthy relationships and kindness and, you know, right and wrong and decency and all those things. And as the child becomes a young adolescent, then a young adult, the work of the parent is to support them to develop their own values. So it becomes more of you sharing your values in a kind of a supportive way rather than an imposing way, hoping that the young person is going to use that information and their experience of being hopefully in a happy, healthy household to the, develop the, their own values. Yeah, yeah. So their their self-esteem or their confidence is a key to their health behaviours across the spectrum. So Absolutely. sexuality is just another one of those things that we need to be mm. maybe putting more words behind or putting that more comf- literal conversations about. Maybe we've shied away. Is that, do you think the parents have just been afraid of this or is this like a hang-up that we're parents are bringing? It probably is, and that's not to blame parents. That's where our society, and I have to say not just Irish society, many societies have come from. You know, that this is somehow, it is somehow taboo, it's somehow silent, it's somehow shameful. And a lot of adults we've talked to over the years, because a lot of my work would have been in training uh, around sexual health, would talk about their own experience of, you know, finding out about reproduction, you know, where babies come from or sex or periods and stuff like that. And it's very often with a bit of laughter to start off with. And then if you just allow a little bit of time and go deeper, it's with sadness, yeah. you know, and it's not to blame their parents. They did the best they could with what they had, but they know that they would like something better and different for their child, something more positive and supportive. So the the, the key to this is not making it a big talk, you know, and I, I, I must <laughs> say that I lived in fear of my parents. Like when I got the birds and the bees message of school friends in mm-hmm. national school, you know, I was like... Are you serious? This is, what, this is what's going on. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. But like I feared for like it was a big fear that my parents were going to give me the big talk. and I didn't want it. Mm. You know, so the whole message. And then I suppose it leaked out over different years. Like they'd say this or that. You know, you were getting the message or they were certainly getting the message across that they thought they kind of acknowledged that I knew the basics already. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. it was like it was leaking out. Yeah. So it was interesting to see this. The key message to your resources is is nearly leaking it out or kind of like, you know, don't put too much emphasis on this big talk, like yeah. make this normal, bite size and often. Absolutely. Can you imagine like you were you've just described the pressure that you were feeling. Can you imagine the pressure they were feeling, you yeah. know, gearing themselves up to do the big talk? So that is really key. 
And actually the research that Catherine Conlon's team did with parents of four to nine-year-olds, which was the research that kicked off this project, she talked about 100 parents and that was one of the big messages that came up. One parent put it beautifully. They say, said, Lair, don't load. So just kind of layer kind of those conversations over the years as they come up, you know, and be thinking about where your child's at and where they're likely to be in terms of their sexuality development, you know, what they might need to know, because they won't always ask the question. You know, it's not, it's not always about waiting for the question. It's about looking for cues. And I think know, that takes us nicely yeah. into looking at some of these resources, specifically like the, the four to seven year old <laughs> resource seems like very light and like well obviously they're they're really small kids like so you're not going to guess but like you're just introducing some names and like the the flower power book is part of that suite and you tell us a bit about your approach but that like young young child okay so this is the parent resource for four parents of four to seven year olds it's a booklet a guide for parents and it's a little storybook tom's power flower and what it does, as you say, it's, it's very gentle, very incremental. It just sets out some of the common kind of issues for that age range and what parents might do around it. So it talks a bit, little bit about how you might help your child to name their body parts, including their genitalia. With their real names. Yeah, with the correct, an- I can't even say it, anatomical names. And that's not just because, you know, we want to be all scientific, but that's because it gives people a shared language to talk about. And and it also takes away the message that somehow that's different to the rest of your body, because, you know, with all the kind of cute little names, you know, that people call their, their very, it can be very individual to families. So this gives the young people a shared language. It gives them a language that they can describe their bodies and they can describe them if something's amiss you know, in a way that adults are going to understand and other people are going to understand and they can describe them in a way that makes it possible to have a conversation in the classroom. So the videos that you've launched as well, they're for this kind of age cohort as well. Mm. So I was very taken by these because like they're lovely animated videos. They're so accessible. We might have a listen to to one of them where it's like a group of parents meeting a facilitator, it's like a parenting group mm. and and the type of conversation they have around the area. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for coming. I know it's tough for parents to get out sometimes. No, I think it's great to have this kind of support when it comes to talking to our children. To be honest, I didn't exactly choose to be here. I mean, what does sex have to do with our three-year-old? I didn't learn about this stuff until secondary school, and that was fine with my parents. A lot of us, including me, had that kind of experience as kids. What do the rest of you think? I grew up thinking that sex was something shameful, but that's wrong. I can already see that our two-year-old is curious about her body. It's pretty funny. And isn't it better they learn from us rather than other kids who only think they know what they're talking about because their parents don't talk to them either? My nine-year-old's friend actually told her just last week that girls eat their tampons. She saw it online. OK, but still, how do you know the right thing to say? If you get it wrong or if it's too much too soon, couldn't that be harmful? For many generations, adults thought that shielding children from learning about sexuality was the safe thing to do. The truth is, better educated children are way more likely to make better decisions as they grow up. About everything, including relationships and sexuality. But with sexuality, there's still a double standard that says knowledge could be harmful. I know you're right, 
but I'm so embarrassed by the words I'd have to say. And isn't it better for mothers to talk to daughters than fathers talk to boys? Children, especially young children, look to grown-ups for information simply because we're trusted adults, regardless of characteristics like gender. And one of the best things we can do is give the message that everybody can talk and learn from each other about this subject. I get it, but I still don't know if I can say the word penis in front of my child. Embarrassment is one of those catchy feelings. And most of us caught embarrassment about sexual things from people around us when we were very young. So we never get to find out that these words are just words and that it's really healthy and okay to say them out loud. You're right. Why should I be embarrassed to say testicles or erections? Nipples? Masturbation! Vulva! Clitoris! Ejaculation! Scrotum? Vagina! Penis! <laughs> Good job, everyone. And with a little practice, I think you guys will be ready to make the big talk, many small talks, and become the askable parents that you want to be. Okay, so one of the things that jumped out at me, or my favourite term for, from that video, is that askable parent at the end. I mean, like, we're all worried about our kids in, you know, for different reasons at different times. They're going through different things. But to think of yourself as a parent who your child can come to, mm. you know, that's the, that's really the sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's to be an askable parent, but it's also to be a tellable parent, you know, just to like our suite of books are called Making the Big Talk, Many Small Talks. And it's it's a nice title. And obviously, you know, it's playing on the old fashioned big talk notion. But actually, it's not so much about the talk. It's about a conversation, you know, as soon and as. Listening. You, yeah. And uh, completely about listening. You know, because you learn as much from your child as, as they'll learn from you, just different things, you know. So it is about that relationship. And the research tells us that that actually is the most important thing, the relationship between the parent and child. So parents put a lot of emphasis on getting it right. You know, sometimes feel they want to be the expert before they start a conversation with their child about this. But actually, the thing is to build the warm, loving, connected relationship where you can have those little conversations that we all have in daily life. That's the key. The rest of the stuff is learnable. You can find it everywhere in the books. You can find it on sexualwellbeing.ie. You can indeed. And you can order the resources from healthpromotion.ie as well. Absolutely. Um, and uh, one of the other things that touched on in that video was the embarrassment. You know, these parents are kind of maybe like... They don't they wanted to delay the conversation. And sometimes I sense that, you know, we delay it and then we think, oh, should they grown up? Yeah, they know everything. You know, they know it all. Yeah. Jeez, they're, they're on the Internet more than I am. So they know it all. Yeah. They don't ask me, you know, so we kind of let ourselves off the hook a bit. Mm. So like, do you like, is that a big concern for parents that all these sources of information and that the Internet is just too big? Yeah, sometimes parents and particularly when you get to the older years, they just kind of feel that they're redundant, that they don't matter anymore. But actually, you know, all the research, international and national, tells us that young people want to talk to their parents and parents want to talk to young people. Yeah. We just need a bit of support to do it. So, yeah. And the embarrassment piece can be got over. We <laughs> have to get over ourselves a bit, jump yeah. it up. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. must come across that all the time. Of course I do, you know, and like I've been working in this area, it feels like a million years, and I still get embarrassed about stuff. Embarrassment there's a lot of emphasis put on it, but actually that's not the biggest issue. You know, that the more you do it, the less embarrassing it is. And sometimes it's actually good for young people and parents to acknowledge that there are difficult conversations that are still worth having. 
you know, but it, does, but it does get easier. Yeah. Know? Maury, can I ask you in relation to dads and, mm. and fathers, you know, there's a huge evidence base about, you know, fathers and boys and, you know, having a good relationship in a kind of a, you know, a huge protective factor for boys. But when it comes to these kind of RSE chats and like, like are we expecting the mothers to do the, the hard yards or is that just a, the way it used to be? Traditionally, that is the way it was expected that if anyone did it, it was mum. And to some extent, it still is. And that is something that we're wanting to change. And it's not to blame fathers because obviously, you know, I suppose societal expectations didn't require it of them. But as you say, we know that, you know, young men need that support from their dads. But also, you know, all children need if they're being co-parented, need the input of both parents because they bring something different but complementary to the conversations. So, you so know, it doesn't have to be the daughter and the mammy and the son and the father? Not at all. And, and, and of course, you know, many families don't have that, you yeah, know, for, for whatever reason, you know, just don't have that. So there's nothing that would actually, you know, mean that a father couldn't have a conversation with, uh, you know, his daughter who's you know, starting menstruation or whatever. It's just that they need support to do it. But the research tells us that this is still an issue, you know, that fathers are less likely to talk to their children and that their children and particularly their sons would like them to. So it's really important that we say to dads that you're needed, you're wanted and you can bring something very special to the conversation. Yeah, maybe we should try and build that into the next Men's Health Week as a message for, for fathers yeah. and dads just Absolutely. to bring them on board. Yeah, that's great. Let's go back to the actual resources now and go on to the 8 to 12 year olds. So you've got the, the making the big talk, small talk guide for parents for that age group. And also we have Busy Bodies those books. Can you tell us a bit about those kind of two resources? Yeah, absolutely, because they kind of work in tandem. So 8 to 12 is kind of the years coming up to puberty and the years when puberty begins. So the 8 to 12 booklet for parents deals with some of those issues about the physical changes during puberty, but it also goes further. It talks about some of the adolescent changes, you know, the changes in kind of the social, emotional kind of piece for young people and what parents might do in order to make those transitions easier for the young person and for themselves. So, you know, it touches on a wide range of topics um, around menstruation, around growth and development, around wet dreams, you know, it, it all the things that we've kind of avoided talking about. Yeah, yeah. And the booklet, The Busy Bodies, it's uh, like the subtitle, a booklet about puberty and adolescence for you and your parents. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Like kids pick this up. There's lots of interesting information you know, in this. Um, and again, it touches on those sensitive private things that you maybe you haven't had a lot of conversation about or you might be picking up information from all sorts of sources we want to have trusted source of information and provide that to parents and young people and and this busybody resource has been around for a while but this is when was this this was updated in 2020 so it's a resource that was first developed by cho4 down in cork and kerry Again, with a wide range of external partners, and then we partnered with CHO4 to develop to redevelop it in 2020. Again, with you know lots of input from lots of expert groups, and it is used widely in homes and it's used widely in schools. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And we would, you know, obviously 
you know, this booklet for young people, but it's really, really good if parents and young people can work through some of it together. And I don't mean from starting on page one and working through <laughs> to the end, a bit like a, you know, an excruciating form of your dreaded big talk. Absolutely. But, you know, dip into it and do little bits at a time yeah. when, it's, when it's useful. Again, it should be, it should be about the house, maybe. <laughs> Accessible resource. Yeah, and different people will use it in different ways. And that's what it is. It's a resource. You know, we're not really here to tell parents how to parent their children. We're here to give them resources and supports that they might choose to use. So these build up to then the 13 to 18 year old resource. Mm -hmm. so you're getting into a different realm of detail, yes. I guess. Oh, absolutely. That's, you know. And, you know, 13 to 18 is a huge age range in terms of young person's development. You know, at 13, they're still, you know, in that very early adolescent stage. By 18, they're an adult. Yeah. But you're still a parent, you know, as, as I'm sure, you know, many you're, people know. You're a parent forever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, again, it deals with kind of some of the general developments and it, and it breaks it down into kind of the 13, 15 age range. You know, it breaks it down a little bit more. So what are the common developments in that age range? And then what are the common developments in the kind of the other end of that age range up to 18? And it offers parents advice and supports around things that they might consider and things that they might do. And it's broader than just, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the usual suspects when it comes to sexual health. It does talk about you know, the young person's emotional health, their body image, their relationships. It talks about consent. It talks about... You know, it's great to see that con consent is another, like, mm. live... Oh, very. <laughs> ...trending topic all the yes. time. So it's great to see, like, practical advice around that. Mm. Because sometimes, I think you know, like, just because it's... There's a lot in the media about it doesn't mean that we all know how to address this mm. with a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old. Absolutely. But you'll actually find that consent is actually kind of threaded throughout the books. Yeah. Because healthy relationships, yeah, that's it. You know, the, the basics of consent is around, you know, people kind of establishing their boundaries and being respectful of other people's boundaries. And should we do that with young children about, you know, like when they can touch and when they can't touch people, when, you know, about playing, about taking turns, about asking, not taking other people's property. These are all consent messages that can be built on as the young person grows up. And then, of course, in this age range, we're coming on to the area where we're talking about kind of consent in terms of maybe a, a dating relationship or later on, maybe a sexual relationship. So it's kind of a natural progression. So the word consent can throw people into a bit of a tiz, but actually it's a progression of the work that parents have been doing all the time. And it's just sometimes people can almost think that their sexual activity and relationships are separate to who they are as a person. But if we want our young people to be kind, decent, caring people who respect the dignity and rights of others, of so course, we'd expect the same in terms of their sexual relationships. They have to see the big picture. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the great things. I think that, you know, the resources do kind of show the big picture, the, the emphasis is on not just, as I said at the outset, the, mm. the act of sex, it's about all this other stuff that we need to consider and take into, into good developing understanding yeah. of. I was very impressed with your launch event. You had all these different stakeholders, Corlin and Nogue, Parents Council, uh, the Secondary School Students Union, Department of Education were there, you know, uh, so like they really got stuck in. They were really engaged and thought, you know, the subject RSC and these resources are very, very important. Absolutely. Once you give people a space to talk about these issues, they, they're really engaged because it's been a taboo for so long. If you create a safe space, then, you know, people are just 
I suppose, you know, really kind of jumping at the bit. <laughs> they want to. They, they want this agenda to evolve. They do, and they, they want to tease out because it can be complex. You know, yeah. there are lots of new ideas and. You know, people are not quite clear about stuff and they just want to tease things out. So getting an opportunity to talk about this is really important. And the young people at the launch, you know, from the ISSU and Corlin and Oak, you know, they were really articulate in saying how much young people need these safe spaces to talk with their parents in the schools and in the community about these issues. And that, you know, how those two particular groups are really advocating for, I suppose, a more open approach to relationships and sexuality where they can get the support that they need rather than just getting it from the internet or whatever. You know, again, the research, the recent research that was launched from the ERSI, which looked at that really big longitudinal study of, you know, children growing up in Ireland, took out some of the data around relationships and sexuality. And one of the things they found was that at the age of 13, only about 7% of the young people were getting their information from the internet. But at the age of, that was at 13, sorry, at the age of 17, it was 20%. So the internet can be brilliant as a source of information, but parents and trusted adults are there to, I suppose, help the young person develop the ability to critically analyse what they're getting, to be a bit of a filter. So that if young people can hear those messages from the Internet and then have some sort of perspective to compare them against. So it's really a reality important. check. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how For does it fit with their own values and you know, their family's values? One of the very useful resources you launched back in November uh, 2022 was the research summary that you, you know you were just talking mm -hmm. about research there so that's available on sexualwellbeing.ie as well the research summary is uh, the importance of parental communication in supporting children children's and young people's relationship and sexuality development so i think that's very important just to highlight to people that want to get deeper into that oh absolutely because it, it sets out why because i think you were saying at the beginning and it said in the in the video from uh you know, the making the big talks, many small talks, you know, why should I talk to my child about this? And the research tells us why. The research tells us that parents who talk to their children are that young people are much more likely to delay for sex and they're much more likely to use safer sex precautions when they do become sexually active. So, you know, that's yeah. only one tangible That's nearly win. the only sentence we need to keep yeah. saying yeah. because any parent will latch on, yeah. you know, for that reason alone. But also... They're more likely to be happy, healthy human beings in their expression of their sexuality in all aspects of their life. You know, so it's not just about avoidance. It's about the positive benefits. Absolutely. Yeah, of that's these. good. So you've been working in this area in sexual well-being for a good few years now. <laughs> what has your journey been like? You must kind of check yourself when you look at sexualwellbeing.ie now, that website. You know, mm. you, would, you wouldn't have seen, you wouldn't expect it to see those things maybe when, when you, like how many years are you working in, in this area? Put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell people how old I am. <laughs> sure. uh, so I, I've been working in this, I, this year, this September it'll be 20 years. And I was a secondary school teacher before that. So you came from working as a teacher in the education setting to work in the health setting and health promotion in the area of sexual health to work back into the education setting. Did that, did you feel like you were equipped with the, some insights and credibility to kind of work from one sector to the other? Absolutely. I, you know, I was 
quite a number. I'm not even going to mention the number of years because that will tell you my age. But I was quite a number of years working as a secondary school teacher and working with the age range from, you know, 12 up to 17 or 18. And yeah, it did give me a lot of experience of, I suppose, the diversity of of young people coming into the sector and some of the, their needs in terms of relationships and sexuality development and also of some of the types of approaches that might work with young people. But I would say that I'm out of the education sector for a long time now. So what's really crucial is our partnerships with our education kind of colleagues. It's really important, you know, the work we do with the various parts of the Department of Education, the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment, and what was the PDST, the Professional Development Service for Teachers, so, you know, having that connection with what's going on currently in schools, it's crucial. it's crucial. Absolutely. I think what was really positive was the development of the National Sexual Health Strategy. Back in 2015, it was the first National Sexual Health Strategy. And what it did was, it's not like the first time people worked in this area because there was huge amounts of work going on in different parts of this area. But what it did was it actually provided a coherent framework for that work to kind of consolidate and grow and expand. So from 2015, the growth and development of the services and supports and information available around, you know, a whole range of sexual health issues has been phenomenal. And any adult, you know, the sexual well-being is a web, the national website for adults over the age of 17. And if anyone is interested in the area or has questions or issues, you know, there's a whole range of information there across the type of services available. For instance, you know, the free contraception service scheme, which is now available to yeah, that's people. Huge. Yeah, 17 to 26. And then the home STI home testing service. Which again is a you know, a big move. A massive breakthrough. Yeah, who would have thought? You know? And it took a huge amount of work, I have to say, on the part of my colleagues and, and their clinical colleagues. But there's a whole range of information available on sexual well-being for parents, for the general public, for people interested in research, for professionals. We also advertise our training, you know, for professionals. So it's it's well worth a visit. So as we come to wrap up this podcast, uh, Mario, give us two or three key messages for parents, just as a takeaway is in this area of sexual health and relationships? I suppose the first thing I would say to parents is to not be overwhelmed by it. This isn't that, you know, you've got to go out now and learn all this stuff and, you know, make it kind of your prime focus in life. So it's to take it gently, to take it gently and to for your own sake and for your child's sake. And to have a look at the booklets, to have a look at sexualwellbeing.ie for parents and to just maybe see how you can do some small, a few small things in the course of your daily life that will actually build that connection and bonding with your child that will actually make these conversations possible as they develop and grow. So that's really, really important. So the second point I'd say is that for parents to take care of themselves because raising a child from birth through to the adult years can be a, a challenging business. It can be great and fulfilling and fun, and it can be hard and tough growing at times. So, you know, it's to... Self-compassion. Absolutely. Take it easy. Find your supports. Find your friends who'll support you. Find the services who'll support you. And if you can, 
try to find some time for yourself. So all the resources around sexualwellbeing.ie, like we keep saying, there's a, been a lot of effort to put into the design of the books. They've got these beautiful speech marks hanging down to kind of show that it's not one big talk. We've said it before. It's bite size. Let's have lots of conversations about these things. Let's use the resources so that we feel kind of we, we feel like our knowledge is built and our confidence is built to have these conversations with our children. So good luck to everybody on sexualwellbeing.ie. I expect everybody to check that out. So thanks very much, Moira, for taking the time to talk to us and bring your expertise and bring us through all these new resources. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me.